0: welcome to bad patient malpractice makes perfect i'm robin donovan and i'm laura pierce and we are two non-medical, expert non non-experts,
1: sifting through this week's health news. And this week's words are poverty, secondhand marijuana smoke, game-changing with women orgasms.
0: Laura, I feel like you've gone out on a limb here, because some of these topics are getting to be kind of long.
1: Yeah. They're funnier this way, though.
0: <laughs> also, I just object to game-changing. Yep cuz I'm trying I'm trying to remove buzzwords from my language and it's surprisingly difficult. Yep, cuz I I've, I've realized that I say the word opportunity a lot and I wrote a whole column as you know cuz you contributed about why buzzwords are annoying and how much they annoy people because in the process of brainstorming like which words people hate, I got so many Facebook comments that I actually wrote a whole piece about it. And it turns out that game-changing is one of the things that ticks people off. Yep. That's why I picked it. (laughs) Just know you're leading with anger.
1: Absolutely. I just want you to know that it's the least helpful portion of the um, headline, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I recall requesting
0: a St. Patrick's Day-related story, and I'm going to assume that that's it, because St. Patrick's Day has been a game changer for me so
1: yeah okay first yeah. story first story comes from uh brogan magazine and it is five ways poverty hurts mental health
0: wait what is this board it's not brogan it's Borgen, but what is it
1: i don't know it's a magazine i never heard of-
0: it says humanity politics and you okay
1: all right seems good
0: i'll allow it
1: it's based in Seattle, so I thought it it would uh, speak to your west coastedness. <laughs>
0: Thank you. You're
1: welcome. Um, so it's talking about uh, mental health being a global concern, but it's um, also means that poverty can predispose people to a host of mental health maladies. Um, that means that the mental health of 836 million people could be forever altered by their temporary circumstances so it's not just looking at those who are um, in poverty having mental health um, illness but also it impacts them even if they were to get out of poverty which i thought yeah. was a very interesting point because we think of poverty like the you know we're trying to fight poverty um which seems weird to me but it's a thing that we do
0: um we come at it with like a sword or something yeah
1: like get come over here poverty let me (laughs) give you some uh equitable housing you know Uh, (laughs) so um the different types that they had for the five most common i guess were um ptsd generalized anxiety disorder paranoia paranoid personality disorder, Mm -hmm. major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, which um, I feel like are, like, the top five ones that I'm, like, most familiar with.
0: Yeah, I feel like those those might be the top five most common mental health concerns. I mean, certainly depression, anxiety, right? Like, those two. Yeah,
1: especially generalized mm. anxiety. That's just like yeah. you just have general. You just blah, blah, blah. that's
0: a label we could put on 2018 for a lot of people. Yeah, just generalized anxiety. There's a lot going on.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I just thought it was an interesting topic because we talked about how uh, poverty affects health. Um, But Mm -hmm. this is looking at specifically mental health, health, which I don't think was discussed in in that podcast. So I saw it and I thought it was it was another layer to it.
0: And it's an interesting chicken and egg kind of debate, because do you have a mental illness because you experienced homelessness and therefore became traumatized, depressed, anxious and paranoid? Or were you all of those things and therefore became homeless? Or houseless. Did you know that we're switching to houseless now? Because the idea is, like, you could have a home without a structure, but, like, so we're talking about, uh, you know, lack of a physical living structure. I was unaware. I had to update yeah. my
1: vocab. This actually
0: came up at my St. Patrick's Day party, so you can tell how festive it was.
1: <laughs> you, you have weird things Uh St. Patrick's Day. Did you know that I it mean, was also St. Gertrude's Day? So... no. It yeah. was. Yep. Just Listen. You know. Just Gertrude share. Gertrude does not inspire
0: me to whip up an enormous meal for twenty of my closest friends.
1: So Well, I wasn't there, so it couldn't have been your closest. Although you, friends. you were I was invited.
0: invited. I also you turned
1: down the invitation. I declined. I verified yes. that it was not in my home state or uh region. <laughs> I double checked. I double-checked, Robin. Yes, this is in Portland. No, I will not be able to attend. <laughs> uh-huh. Although I did appreciate the invite. Yeah? Um. Yeah. That's I thought, good. of course, the, my initial thought was, Robin's coming to Cincinnati! <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's not out of the question, but it might be a month or so. Um, about this story, because really, St. Patrick's Day is the opposite of all these things. And, you know... And that makes me sad, but one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking at the party was just that not only is the terminology we're starting to use becoming, I think, more accurate, but probably there's going to be a period where no one knows what the term means and we have to adjust. So I think about that as a person who works in journalism, right? <laughs> like I, We finally came up with person experiencing houselessness as probably the most kind term. And yet I also immediately realized that 90% of people in the U.S. do not know that that equals what they're now calling homeless person. But the other thing that just I came away from it thinking was that idea that some people, you know, quote unquote, want to be homeless. And I used to hear that a lot when I was working in a nonprofit that served this population of people. And I was trying to think of how do you describe to people way that that is true, but not true. And what I came up with is that this is like saying, like, if you imagined, like, a child and every time the child laughed or smiled or skipped or, like, expressed joy, someone uh, scolded them. And so then you take them and they never get help, you know, for any one of a number of reasons. Probably similar circumstances that led to them being scalded every time they expressed joy. And then later you say, I tried to teach this person to cook, but they just don't want to. And then they put the person in the category of someone who just chooses not to cook. But when you like you look at their life, like a lifetime that was not only like specifically impacted to make to make being in certain situations that are quote unquote normal, like cooking or living in a house more difficult. But also imagine the plethora of mental health, like the trauma, the depression and the anxiety, like the crisis types of, of moments and, you know, the long-term damage from something like that. And then we take these complex individuals who refuse help for any one of a number of reasons. And then we say they just want to be homeless or houseless. Like they're just choosing that. And I, like, I really, I think there are people who choose it literally technically choose it but i just i wish there was some quick easy way to help people understand that that choice is the outcome of this whole lifetime of of neglect and abuse and suffering yeah
1: that makes sense so the circumstances have made it that this is their choice it provides control for what for the circumstances that they've had. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: I mean it's on a much lighter note. It's something similar to what I've heard about women in triathlon where they say we don't need to have equal slots for men and women at the um Ironman World Championships every year in Kona and this has been a big debate because they say well the proportion of women signing up is lower, but you start to say well why is that the case, you know? And certainly it's because women in sport wasn't encouraged, you know, and there was this whole culture around certain like like emphasizing masculinity and, and emphasizing that this is a sport for a certain type of person, which tended to be white, high-earning, middle-class, like at least middle-class men. And then you, and then you say, well, we're not going to let as many women in because women, women aren't interested. And you're like, well, but – women aren't interested cuz you didn't let them be interested, right? And so then
1: like again, it's like the chicken egg thing. Yeah. I agree. I think that's I a think, very a very good analogy.
0: Yeah, I mean it I don't want to trivialize, you know, it's nothing alike. Like a woman not being able to participate in a sport is is not exactly the same as a lifetime of suffering. But um what makes me sad about this story is also that it does show how mental health isn't, isn't an on-off switch. It's not that if, I, if you're depressed and I give you something and then you're happy that you're never going to get depressed again. I actually – the statistic I've heard about major depression – so you can be like dysthymic – which means like a like a mild feeling of sadness that maybe lasts or hopelessness or what have you that lasts for i think it's 1 to 2 years and you can be like you can have depressive symptoms but major depressive disorder is kind of a thing so a more severe form and i read in a study once that people that have had one major depressive episode are, have a 50% chance of having a second episode in their lifetime so just, the, just having gone through it, it's like you burn that kind of neural pathway. So luckily, there's like all this cool research on like neuroplasticity and this idea that if you expose yourself to different conditions, you can kind of change the way that your brain works. So our traumatized person has hope for a meaningful adult life. But I think, you know, that statistic just shows you how hard it is, you know, even though it's possible how hard it probably is to change that, to change that pathway. So yeah, it's really sad. It's really serious.
1: Yeah, are you ready for our next article?
0: I mean, yes. <laughs> is this the one? Is this the one that might be leprechaun related?
1: Yeah. No. This one is uh, smoke related. Okay. So green. Oh man. Um, it comes from the <laughs> National Public Radio, and it's are there health risks are their risk from secondhand marijuana smoke early science says yes so but how this, could there not be <laughs> this is um was a story uh on npr that i heard and then i read and it's about a researcher who is um, a biologist and the professor in the division of cardiology at the university of california san Francisco. And he came to (laughs) to the idea when he was at a, um, concert, uh, he was at a Paul McCarthy concert when about halfway through the people in front of him lit up a a cigarette and started smoking. And for a split second, he thought, (laughs) Hey, you can't smoke in here. This is like inside a building. And then he realized it was marijuana. and he was thinking about san francisco being the way that san francisco is that a visible cloud of pot smoke took shape over the (laughs) um (laughs) place but they thought like if this was tobacco smoke people would be like freaking out you know like right but uh, there's this idea that uh marijuana is okay
0: so i love the line I love the line that says, recreational pot was not yet legal in the state, but that stopped no one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he, because marijuana is illegal under federal law, he has to use government joints, which I think is funny. Wait, um, what? Like the government owns pot? Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, and he can't test it on humans because the federal government says it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah that's well, to,
1: amazing yeah they had to get special uh uh they had to buy it from um the government yeah specially approved government cannabis for the study so um and it's the same thing they're government cigarettes for research purposes as well oh did you I know, didn't that? know that no i did they're terrible they don't taste very good Everybody says Whoa,
0: that. wait, time out. Are you a smoker? No. Are you suddenly a smoker? You just you just know about this?
1: Yeah, it's just like a thing I know. <laughs> That's so random. I like it. So, uh, he previously has tested the effects of tobacco on rats. And so, he did it for um, marijuana with rats. and um, Hopefully not the same rats. Hopefully not. But the... So, the... The effect of breathing in secondhand smoke causes the arteries to like um, harden and get like damaged or whatever. And typically,
0: atherosclerosis or something, right? It's the hardening, artery
1: hardening. The hardening of the arteries. But with tobacco, it takes about 30 minutes to recover from it. So, like, but it's the continuation of. Continuous exposure to it that can cause the da- the damage that we know that secondhand tobacco smoke causes, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why mm-hmm. secondhand smoke kills. With marijuana, it takes ninety minutes to recover the arteries to recover.
0: Ooh, yeah! So that makes it seem like it's three times more.
1: Toxic. So it takes it takes more times, but we have this view that cannabis is fine because it's natural. Whatever that
0: means. Whatever that means. It's an unregulated term, right? Yeah.
1: It's natural. I
0: don't know. Oh, my gosh. But the article says there can be, like, mold and stuff in marijuana. Yeah. Especially
1: because it's unregulated. So it's a public health issue. Yeah. Not to mention that there's no...
0: It's not... Like, I don't understand why we would think that the smoke from cannabis products would be fine. Like, the smoke it's, from wood is an irritant, right? I yeah. mean, the smoke from anything is an irritant. I'm guessing people are thinking of it more as, like, you would take a couple puffs from a joint, but you'd be, like, smoking cigarette after cigarette. Like, hopefully you're not smoking joint after joint. But, it, like you said, it looks like it's more toxic this way or it's more more harmful.
1: It's longer lasting. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a public health issue because, as I learned recently, what public health is, is it's not just, like, individual person. It's how my individual choices also affect the community at large. So, like, if I have a beer, it doesn't affect anybody else. Like, even if I spill my beer, it might be an irritant to somebody, but it's not <laughs> going to cause permanent, right. long-lasting uh, health issues for them.
0: Right. Or even short term, they do not they do not become intoxicated. Their if you become wet. intoxicated, right.
1: Yeah.
0: But their shoe is not intoxicated either. No one's intoxicated but you in short.
1: Yeah. But smoking, regardless of what kind of, uh product, mm-hmm. does affect the people around you. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Miss Portland. <laughs>
0: Oh, trust me, there is no smoking. I can't do, I cannot do any type of smoking because the sensation it gives me is, like, this horrible, like, burning, like, I understand you might get used to it or whatever, but to me, it is so uncomfortable. I just can't do it. And I even, I gave hookah a shot when it was popular a few years ago. It's like when we were in college. Oh, but I I wrote a health column for my uh grad school newspaper and i covered hookah as like a is it safe and i found that you know the research was saying you know this the smoke it has certain properties it's not as bad as cigarette smoke but the danger there was that people tend to smoke hookah in these like hookah what do you call them cafes bars whatever lounge 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 types of places and there would be so much secondhand smoke that when they were measuring the impact of just being around it it was like smoking a pack of cigarettes every two hours or that's i can't remember if that's the exact thing but it was like two hours of that was like smoking 20 cigarettes it was so much smoke inhalation because it was Mm -hmm. just not only your you and your friends but all the people sitting around you and i actually after writing that story that was the last time i ever smoked (laughs) <laughs> at all I mean and I I used i only did it a couple times but I thought it was kind of like relaxing and nice and it would be like pleasantly watermelon flavored and it didn't seem to hurt my throat as much as other things so you know but after that I was like Ugh. plus I, I've seen some some grandfather lung cancer action happening and smoking has just always been something that I've disliked um, not to worry I'm out here on the left coast telling everyone that they should switch to edibles because it's better for you but you know supposedly the high is different or whatever so people are going to do what they're going to do but yeah I don't know Is it? it's like laughable to me that people don't think it's dangerous I mean like arsenic is dangerous that's natural
1: yeah Lots, of, you things know, I mean, lots are, of things that are naturally killing.
0: Yeah, every poison we know of is natural, right?
1: Like, mm, where do they... I I don't know. Well, I think like yeah, the nerve every... agent was natural. Yeah,
0: okay, that's true. But like, yeah, there's so many like poisonous plants and stuff. There's a reason because nature's telling you don't eat that. Nature's telling you don't light this on fire and then put it in your mouth. I mean, I thought it was obvious. Light it on fire? Maybe. Light it on fire, put it in your mouth? Not great. Light it on fire, put it in your mouth and inhale. Yeah. Bad things. Bad things are going to happen.
1: Okay. So now I'm just imagining you lighting, putting things in your mouth and not inhaling. So it's just like a fire (laughs) on your tongue. (laughs) Which seems worse somehow. I feel like you should just inhale, Robin, at that point. Mm, Like you have a fire in your mouth. Yeah. Put it out, man. Put it out, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I like this study. All right. So our next story comes from Fortune. And as doctors say, they have found a game-changing stem cell treatment for MS. Happy St. Patrick's Day. You know what?
0: These, okay, I hope this is really game-changing and not one of these, like, they did a study on mice and then they found something that question mark could be useful in five years, and then we called it a breakthrough.
1: Well, this is a interim results of an international trial for stem cell treat transplant treatment that uh, was done on humans, a hundred people, in four cities: Chicago, San Paulo, Sheffield, and, and and Upsala, and <laughs> Sweden better than mine um who had relapses and remitting ms which is like having symptoms of relapse um and remission after a year of treatment only one patient of the of um had had relapse compared to 39 in the control group
0: wait so was it 100 people total or 100
1: people in the control and 100 people in the treatment Just over 100 people, so neither participated in this study. So they were talking about,
0: like, basically, yeah, 52 and 50. This is ridiculous. 50 people? We can't do a... But only one. Yeah, but that sample size is tiny. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, question mark, yay,
1: Right. It's not in. It's not in rats. I don't know what more you want, Robin. You wanted Plus people. They, I got you people. <laughs> you did, but they're also spread across <laughs> it, four, four different countries. Enough. Why? Do, <laughs> That's why true. do they all have to live near
0: each other? Well, because then you're controlling for more factors. Right. It's,
1: it's the globalization of the world. It's like can this can this happen? <laughs> I don't know. Chicago. Yeah. Uh, UK, Sweden, and.
0: Okay, yeah, here's a voice of reason. (laughs) Neurologist at Royal Hallamshire Hospital in the UK told the BBC this was the best result he had seen in any trial for multiple sclerosis. Pause. Though he included the caveat that the results were only preliminary. This study is the largest of its kind, and it bolsters results from smaller trials. Okay, I feel like this is false hope. I think this is really cool. I think it's really exciting. I think it's neat. But to say, the the headline is, doctors say they found a game-changing sem- stem cell treatment. This is not, this is, que- this is a question mark. This is a big question mark. This is an exciting question mark. But this does not qu- change the questioning nature of the question mark. Man. I didn't realize you were such a pessimist. Well, hey, we did better on this trial than a previous trial when 8 of 281 participants died. That's good. Maybe that's why they can only get 100 people to do
1: it. 8 of the 281 died. Yeah. That's a lot. They, yeah.
0: Because usually they don't get into human trials until it's been through a bunch of other testing. The idea being that when you start testing drugs on people, you don't kill them. I mean call me picky, but that I don't would know. be my strong preference. The
1: United States just passed the right to right to choose. What is that? Uh it it was the it was access to um uh medicine that hasn't been approved by the FDA who, who for people who were um Oh yeah s- stage whatever terminal, stage four, Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really cool, because they can, they can get access to trial medication. How is that
1: any different?
0: Because they're going to die anyway, and, it's, and they know. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, but if,
1: people who have well, MS are going to die from MS.
0: Mm, MS tends to shorten lifespans, but, like, not necessarily. Like, it tends to shorten lifespans much less than you would think. Like, people live into their 70s, I think. It's not, it's not like it used to be. Especially, like, this one, relapsing-remitting MS, is not the most um, harsh form of MS.
1: I, I, I just... If people are willing to take the risk for it. Yeah. Okay.
0: I've got a source for you. Yep. Multiple sclerosis is, oh, wait, sorry, hang on. (laughs) Multiple sclerosis is seldom fatal and life expectancy is shortened by only a few months. Concerns about prognosis center primarily on quality of life and prospects for disability. Most patients and physicians harbor a now unfounded view of MS as a relentlessly progressive, inevitably disabling disease, National Institutes of Health. I just know this because um, the physical therapist I work with is really outspoken about having MS and you wouldn't really know that from working with him. And I had the same kind of thought. Like when he first told me that I was like, "Oh, thinking I thought like wheelchair is inevitable, like that you die from it, but you don't. I mean, we don't know what causes it or exactly like why certain people get it. Like there's some genetic link, but and and for some people Like, there are more aggressive forms, and some people, you know, it is really, really limiting. But for a lot of people, it's not. So, there you go.
1: To be fair, I think I was confusing with ALS. Oh, yeah, no, that's,
0: that's, yeah. You do die Uh, from that.
1: That's my bad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I, like, launched into this whole thing.
1: (laughs) So After you were like, oh, wait it's just Uh, these initial things sometimes confuse me (laughs) (laughs) you know MS ALS they both have an S they're both neurological
0: that's that's the only commonalities I can find that's that's all I got (laughs) (laughs) gosh no if it's ALS I would say that yeah they should be allowed to have access to experimental drugs as well because that's such a destructive disease
1: It's also a stem cell, so it's probably not going to be super successful here in America.
0: Yeah, there's that as well. Yep. All right.
1: You ready for the next one? Yes, I am. It comes from Elite Daily and it is, what makes women orgasm? Having sex with other women does the trick, science says.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love when science is named as the source.
1: What is this garbage? Um, so, according to AskMen, the researchers gave this study to 2,300 women between the ages of 18 and 65. surveys asking them about the intimate details of their sex lives.
0: <laughs> because women over 65 just don't have sex. That's We don't need to include them.
1: Apparently. But it's from uh. women across the globe. It turns out that women on women's sex is more fruitful than man-on-woman sex. In fact, (laughs) women who slept with other women were a whopping 32% more likely to orgasm than women who slept with men.
0: I mean, I think that's biological, though.
1: Biological?
0: Yeah, like, women biologically, physiologically, are more able to have multiple orgasms, where for men, there's more of, like, a downtime.
1: No, this right? that would be like this is no, this is women orgasming, period, I know, but
0: if the if it's a man if it's a man and a woman and the man has an orgasm and cannot return to said activity then then the woman you know her fun time is over. I mean, I'm not saying it has to be, but for the purposes of the definition of this, I think they're saying in the <laughs> orgasms during coupled sex, right,
1: okay couple of things <laughs> okay i don't think you're having sex right <laughs> if you think that the man orgasming means that everything has to stop there are other well, ways but i to think it often does that, that's that seems like an issue with the couple because <laughs> yeah i know
0: <laughs> but i'm just i'm just saying like men i feel like the duration I, I just, I do think it's biological that, like, women, it tends to take longer. I don't think
1: it's biological. I think that is a well, social construct that you're claiming is biological. That is social. There's nothing to prevent a man from continuing to stimulate a woman uh, if he feels the I see need. What you're saying. That is not a biological thing. He has other yeah. ways. There are other things that okay. he should do with other parts okay. of his body.
0: Agreed. I guess I'm saying it's biological that the men would. T- the man would tend to have a shorter time from initiation to orgasm and I agree that it is cultural that he would stop at that point <laughs> but I'm guessing that that cultural phenomenon is what is accounting for
1: this the uh, Champman University Indiana University and the Kinsey Institute found that lesbians were reaching orgasm 21% more than straight women, with straight women reaching orgasm sixty five percent of the time, and lesbians orgasming a whopping eighty six percent of the time. Way to go! <laughs> so there, that's if you wanna if you wanna <laughs> orgasm, an eighty percent eighty six percent chance of you orgasming. Robin, do it with a yeah. lady. Unless I'm
0: not attracted to ladies, in which case there's a lower percent chance. Also, do we really think that ask men, whatever that is, is a, like, verifiable (laughs) scientific institution? Like, really? Do we think that this survey was conducted according to the utmost standards of survey research, that the questions were unbiased and that they've got a representative sample of the population? Like, do we think there's any chance of any of that stuff? Or do we kind of think, like... They put a question online somewhere, and a bunch of people answered it, and then they took those results as, like, the gospel truth.
1: I mean, that is, but there's also a 2017 study of 52,000 adults conducted by the Ch- Champ Man University, Indiana University, and the Kinsey Institute that found that 21% more lesbians are orgasming over straight women. Nice. So I mean, yes, your lesbian. ask men probably isn't a super duper <laughs> scientific research. However, this showed up in my health news. It's Elite yeah. Daily dot com, which seems super reputable
0: because <laughs> <laughs> we've never heard of it. Oh man, and there's and there's really professional language. I mean, are any of us shocked? I can tell you, I for one definitely am not. That's from the article. <laughs> So no, actually, I, I don't I d- know. I mean, I didn't know this, and I think it's a good it's a good conversation to have around societal expectations, cultural expectations about bedroom behaviors.
1: Uh, Rebecca Denkin, author of One Hundred and One Sex Tips, believes that men put are putting too much are not putting much effort into foreplay as they should. A woman needs at least forty five minutes of foreplay before intercourse.
0: So that seems that seems arbitrary i mean i'm not saying she's wrong in every case but like
1: she wrote a book it really, robin how much more uh <laughs> super experty do you need someone to be just i feel
0: like uh we have so much information now around women and individuality and like and individuality and sexuality that to say like women need 45 minutes just
1: seems oddly specific i don't know so what's your current medical fascination robin
0: uh well you know laura i'm gonna do that politician thing and ask answer a question you didn't ask which is what's my current fascination and it is when are we going to get a story about saint patrick's day
1: i told you next year i don't i don't know if i can make it that long oh my god robin how about how about
0: you what do you think is the political event that's shaping health news this week
1: um, I would say that it would probably be March for Our Lives happening, uh, today. Um, right? This comes and what out is of, that? It's the, uh, call for action for gun, gun, um, reform, which is uh, a public health issue. Um, I think that is gripping our nation right now. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And we just saw the high school students do the walkout earlier this week. Yeah, I think that definitely is a public health concern. I mean, we politicize it a lot, but gun violence and health are closely intertwined. Well, yeah. Laura, I think that is enough bad patienting for me for one day. Is there anything you think we need to uh, touch on that we missed?
1: Um, if you have any questions, concerns, or complaints, you can reach us at hello at, the, at badpatient.com.
0: You can tweet yeah, us. hello at the com.
1: Hello at TheBadPatient.com. You can tweet us, and that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, you can tweet us at TheBadPatient.
0: Uh, we'll give a thank you to our composer, Evan Schaefer. Soundcloud.com slash Evan Schaefer. Until next time, we are bad patients. Malpractice makes perfect.